You can turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I was joking with some of the guys that had preached before me this week and I said I was going to come up at the end and just trump all of their messages with the gospel. Right? Just at whatever they said, here's the gospel. But we know in all seriousness that the gospel is what everything that we have talked about and everything that we have heard uh, actually makes all those things flow out of the gospel. Right? And that, that's what makes our life worthy of the calling of the gospel. So, it's really the foundation, whether you put it at the beginning or at the end as we have chosen and, and how it came about for this family camp, the gospel is our foundation for everything that we have heard. And I think it's commonplace in family camp, I think it's probably a common thought to say, this is really hard at the end of a tired um, weekend to focus on a sermon. I think that would be easiest default mindset for us. But I want to flip that around and say, maybe the Spirit can use us at our most tired spot to be the most receptive that we have nothing to contribute to our salvation. Right? Maybe you had wicked thoughts at 1 a.m. or 7 or 8 a.m. Uh, evil thoughts of, of just cleaning a cabin. And the Lord can use the lowest, most tired state. Not that we tune it out when we're tired, but that we see our complete dependence. So that's, that's, that's the mindset, that's a prayerful mindset that I would approach our last sermon together with. That in our weakness we can see that this is when we are most susceptible to the riches of the Gospel. Amen? Amen? So in all seriousness, it seems fitting to end camp with one of the strongest stand firms in all of Scripture, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It's sort of a warning, you could even say a threat. That's right, a threat to God's people. To get the gospel wrong is to get Christianity wrong. And in fact, it's to have no Christianity at all. You may have heard a certain analysis of particular movements or denominations over time or churches that go something like this. One generation or the first generation cherished and believed and preached and taught the Gospel. The next generation assumed the Gospel and following behind just the assumption of the Gospel was the third generation denying the Gospel. We have a constant battle to not assume the Gospel. We have a constant battle in our discipleship, in our meetings together, to not just assume the Gospel, but to preach it and to proclaim it like we really do believe that it is our only hope. This is what Paul fervently wants to communicate to the Galatians. Galatians 5, chapter 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. It is for freedom, it is for liberty that Christ indeed has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, because of this freedom, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And I don't think there's a better verse in the whole letter of Galatians to sum up the entirety of Paul's message to the church at Galatia than 5.1. It is the main thrust of Paul's whole concern. If you know anything about Galatians at all, you know that Paul was very stern. It may be one of his only letters that he, he doesn't just start off with a greeting in love, but he starts off with an, I am absolutely astonished that you would be tempted to leave this great gospel. What is wrong with you, Galatians? And I don't think there's a better verse to see the whole of what he is trying to say, the depths of what he's trying to say, as if you are leaving freedom when you go to a different gospel. You have been set free. Paul says, don't even think for a minute of submitting again to slavery. Slavery is bondage. Slavery is chains. Imagine, I'm trying to, this is a, this is a, not a perfect illustration, but I'm trying to, to, to give something to the children to hold on to. And, and for us, hopefully, in the parts that it doesn't break down, but imagine spending five to ten years across enemy lines, wherever that may be for us in present day America. Imagine being across enemy lines five to ten years in a deep, dark prison of the enemy, chained dirty and bound to a wall, only unchained to be forced to do things against your will. Imagine the darkness, the hopelessness, the helplessness. Imagine being in bondage to a ruthless enemy, being chained up and not being able to help yourself. And you've all of a sudden had a rescuer. And you get to experience for the first time freedom. You see freedom. You see the joy of freedom. You get to express joy and gratitude to a rescuer. And you thought you would never get out. And then as time passes... All of a sudden, you find yourself dull to that freedom and that joy of freedom. And you've forgotten just how bad slavery was and somehow thinking that, man, to really be free, I need to be a slave to my enemy again. I need the chains back in my life. How ridiculous does that sound? And that is exactly the spirit of Paul to the Galatians to say, how ridiculous does it sound that you have been freed? You have what I thought, I hope it wasn't in vain, Paul says, that what I thought that you seemed to take it in and rejoiced in freedom, in grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ, in Christ alone, what I seem to have 
thought you, what you seem to have uh, done by faith, you now are wanting to go back to chains. How ridiculous does that sound? That is why Paul says, I'm astonished that you would go back from grace. But that's what Paul wants the Galatians to see. Galatians 4, 8, 9, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? That is precisely what we do when we neglect our freedom of the grace of Christ. It is not a stretch then for that example to say we lose the excitement, we lose the joy, we lose the thrill of this message that surely is too good to be true that by grace alone we have been saved and we are crawling back to chains. The Galatians were being presented with an addition to Jesus. Jesus plus something. That's what the false teachers coming to Galatia had done. It had unsettled the Galatians. They're coming in and saying, you need to be circumcised. Said so Jesus is great. You can call Jesus your Savior. You can say Jesus accomplished this, but you need to be circumcised. In essence, you need to become a Jew and start submitting to the law. To Paul's ears and to our ears, it should sound like Jesus isn't enough. It's what it should sound like to our ears. That grace isn't really free. Paul says, hello, you were freed from this way of thinking. Why are you going back to it? Why would you be persuaded? Why would you be guided to something that is enslavement. I want you to remember a false teacher's formula. If you're a note taker, write this down as a false teacher's formula. Jesus plus some other things. Whatever you want to throw in that blank. Jesus plus some other things. That's what equals true freedom. Jesus plus whatever we have built, whatever we hold to, equals true freedom. That is the message of the false teachers. False teachers giving a thousand different you fill in the blank in our day and age. And Paul says the, the correct formula is actually this. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And the opposite of that, Jesus plus anything is nothing at all. Jesus plus anything is zero. And so in true Paul-like fashion, in verse 1, Paul gives us an indicative and he gives us an imperative. And those are just simply uh, big words, part of grammar, that simply means Paul gives us to help us with this disastrous course that we would maybe somehow leave the goodness of the grace of freedom and follow back to slavery, back to chains, back to imprisonment. He gives us a truth to know and believe. A truth to know and believe. That's what an, impar- uh, an indicative is. And then He also 
gives us a command to be obeyed in light of that truth. That would be the imperative. So, Paul gives us in help from the Spirit a truth to be grasped, to be known, to be loved, to be uh, to to cause us to rejoice, to to worship God because of, and then in light of that truth that we believe, we do something else. We obey in light of the truth of the gospel. So. It's important in the Christian life that this is how it works. That there's a truth to be loved, a truth to be embraced, that results that results in the command to be obeyed. So in the case that a truth is, in this instance, about our freedom, a freedom that we have in Christ alone, that we were supposed to rejoice in, and we're supposed to know that it's already a reality, this is the reality of the Christian, that we are freed from sin. That is the reality. Understand that. Scripture speaks of our freedom from sin, our freedom from the condemnation of the law as a reality. For us, it's not completely realized, but understand that the truth of God's Word says that when you are justified by the grace of Christ alone, it is as good as done. The command, that imperative, is given so that we would, in light of that truth, Desire to see it out. It is a command to be obeyed because of the light of the truth. It is becoming who we are. There's the reality of the Christian. That you are saved wholly by God. You are freed from condemnation of the law. You are freed from your sin. You are justified by faith alone. That's the truth to be known and to believe. This is followed by obey this, do this to make the reality a visible one. So for 5.1, the truth is for freedom, Christ has set us free. That is the truth to be believed. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The command is stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So let's look at this verse in this way. This is one verse today, a one verse sermon. What is to be believed and what because of that belief is to be done? So first, we look at this truth of freedom. What is freedom here? Listen to Galatians 3, 23 through around 26. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Freedom for Paul is a justification by faith. Being justified 
in front of God by faith alone. That's what freedom is. Faith here is opposite of the captivity of the law. Notice, now before faith came, what do we have? We had captivity. That was enslavement. And that enslavement was what we had under the law. So captivity versus faith. See, that is the opposite for Paul in his argument. Captivity under the law versus faith. Faith comes, we are no longer under the law. We are no longer in captivity. Faith alone for Paul is freedom in Christ. Hear that. Faith alone for Paul is freedom in Christ. Trying to obtain a righteousness by obedience to the law is imprisonment. Understand that. It was imprisonment for there. That was the only system. That was the captivity that they were held under. The law was their guardian. It was imprisonment even for them. Don't think that somehow they had this uh, thing that they could work out. That it wasn't captivity. Paul saying, no, that was all captivity. The law was their guardian until this era of faith. We... They, they, they even weren't supposed, they were supposed to know that they couldn't obtain a righteousness by the law. They were supposed to know that even though the law is perfect and it's good and it's holy and it's a great reflection of the character of God, that it was captivity because none of us can do it. So captivity is opposed in Galatians to faith. Freedom is justification. Justification is being declared righteous apart, away from the law. The law is not faith. The law is not faith. Galatians 3, 11 and 12. Now it is evident... Paul says that no one is justified before God by the law. It should be evident for the righteous live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. What does that mean? The one who is going to commit to doing the law, to trying to do the law, you are living under that umbrella. You are living under that umbrella. If you are going to choose obedience as maybe a worthy cause to give you some favor, some acceptance to God, you are living under the law. You can't be half law when you're doing good and then all of grace when you're doing bad. These are two separate ways of thinking. It's a captivity versus a freedom. It wouldn't make sense for us to talk about being a, a, a freed man and then yet at another time being a slave. You are either free or you are a slave. Law is not faith. Faith is not law. Law, really, what Paul is saying, works of the law is bondage because we can't obey it. Right Before 11 and 12 in verse 10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Again, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. 
For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So we're freed as Christians, justified by faith alone to enjoy that exact reality. Freedom from the curse of the law. We are no longer under a curse if you have faith in Christ. There is no curse that you're under. If there is no faith in Christ, you are under a curse of earning your salvation, which is an impossible task. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, His work on the cross, plus nothing, listen, Jesus' life and death and resurrection plus nothing equals everything. It equals everything. This is what Paul goes to painstaking measures to show the Galatians for the Spirit to show His people for freedom Christ has set you free so you might be asking is God's perfect law and Paul anticipated this question so I can't come up with it it's not original to me Paul came up with this question or anticipated this question rather God's perfect law is it then contrary To God's promises? Is God's perfect holy law then contrary to God's promises? Are they opposed? Is it just an opposition that we have to deal with? Paul asked this question in 3.21. says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? He says, Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith, by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Freedom is faith. Understand this. Freedom is faith. It's trusting Christ. It's trusting Christ alone. Now the second part of this truth to be believed and this truth to rejoice in is that for freedom, what? Christ has set us free. Just take your finger and and, and whatever translation it is, block out for freedom and then block out on the other side of our statement, uh, on the other side of Christ has set us free and just read that statement and marvel in it for a second. In all of our sins and all of our anxieties and everything that still clings on that we're still so very aware of on this side of eternity, block out everything on that statement and just read it and just marvel at it. At it. Christ has set us free. That is the reality. That is the reality. Uh, honestly, I'll confess. I'll be the first to confess. If it, if it takes somebody confessing, I do not live in that reality as, as excited and, 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 and uh, pumped up as I am and on fire it seems like I am. I do not live in that reality often. Right? 
But that doesn't mean it's not a reality. The Scriptures testify that it is a reality. Christ has set us free. Christ has set me free from my sin. Christ has set those of you that are putting your faith in Jesus Christ, He has set you free from your sin. You talking about that sin that you go back to? Yes, He has set you free from that. You talking about that sin that you still struggle with? That sin of anger? That sin of bitterness? Yes, Christ has set you free from that sin. Christ has set us free. Christ has done it all. We can take no credit for our freedom. Our freedom from the curse, that is the condemnation of the law, is from Christ. And in fact, it is in Christ. All of Christ. Christ has set us free. That's why Paul says, I am absolutely astonished that you so quickly are deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is a different gospel. You lose the gospel if you turn away from free grace. You see a man that is so passionate about free grace, about faith alone, you wonder why his mind is blown. Why would you leave this? Why would you think that you can do something else to earn your freedom? Why do we crawl back to our slavery when the reality is that Christ has set us free. It is the grace of Christ that sets us free, that gives us freedom. And if freedom is faith in Christ, and faith is opposed to the works of law, then freedom can't just mean, listen to this, because this is what our thinking is. This is, why, this is where we've been poisoned. If freedom is faith in Christ and faith is opposed to the works of law, then freedom can't just mean that Christ set us on the right path to freedom. Okay, see this distinction. This is vitally important and we've been poisoned by a lifetime of American shallow evangelicalism. Okay? Freedom is not Christ setting us on the right path and saying, now you're on the path of freedom. Walk down it. That is anti-gospel. Understand, that is anti-grace. The church is full of a poison teaching that says Christ sets you on a path to freedom. He picks you up and just puts you on the freedom. It's up to you to bring up some works to contribute and walk down it. That is anti-gospel. That's the same foolishness that leads Paul to say, I wish those false teachers would just emasculate themselves. That's foolishness. If you've heard a gospel in your life and you've clinged to it, that God takes you and sets you on the path of freedom and says, now it's up to you, that's no gospel at all. It's a false teaching. It's poison. 
That's Jesus plus something, kids. That's Jesus plus something. If Scriptures say that we are justified by faith, we are free from condemnation. If it, if it says that we're free from damnation by our faith alone in Christ alone, then Scripture means that we are all the way free. We are in freedom. We're not on a road to freedom. The truth of the Gospel is that in Christ we are completely free and you can't add a single thing to it. And this is where the command comes in. This truth to be obeyed. The theme of our weekend, right? Stand firm in this truth. If there is ever a truth worth fighting for in Christianity, it's the truth that actually makes Christianity Christianity. Makes it different than any other false religion in this world that we actually contribute nothing to our salvation. You better stand firm in that. That is not just the job of elders. That is not just the job of teachers. It is the job of the church to stand firm and say that we contribute zero to our salvation. That Jesus paid it all. That is what we have to stand firm on. To stand firm in the Gospel Jesus Christ accomplished it all. We have nothing to contribute. Kids, understand this. Adults, understand this. We contribute nothing at any point in our lifetime to justification. It is by faith alone. Verse 1 through 3 of chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, Paul says. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that now you're being perfected by the flesh? You see the difference now between God putting us in freedom as opposed to God putting us on a road to freedom? Do we begin by the Spirit? Were we freed in the Spirit to now somehow say you keep going by works of the flesh? That is anti-gospel and that is good news whether you think I'm screaming it angrily or not right now. It is great news that the Spirit has freed us with a true freedom. It's exciting anger. <laughs> I don't think those two go together. It's something else altogether. The truth of the Gospel is that in Christ, we are completely free. You can't add a single thing. The truth to be obeyed, to stand firm. This Gospel is the hope of the world, is it not? The Gospel is the hope of the world. To contribute anything of it becomes hopeless for the world. It's no Gospel at all. And it means that Christianity ceases to exist if there is no Gospel of Christ alone. 
faith alone in Christ alone. The picture Scott already illustrated last night. Stand firm. Dig your heels in. Hold the line. Don't move on this. Don't budge or you lose the gospel. That is what Paul is saying. I I cannot say any more kindly than that. Understand this, church. If you budge on the gospel being by faith alone, you lose the gospel. We lose the gospel. We can't sing like that at the beginning of every worship service. We can't hold on to that gospel, that, that deep assurance that gives us if we budge and we say that we contribute something to that. You understand that? I broke my promise, Bill. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, we have... Another gospel, which is no gospel at all, if we budge. That's what Paul is saying when he says, hold the line and stand firm. You have to keep the gospel, the gospel. That it is by faith. And faith alone. What happens when you budge? Paul says in in verse 2 of chapter 5, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, listen, listen, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Understand that. If we accept that somehow we contribute something, Christ is no benefit to us. There is no benefit of a Savior if we would say that something contributes to it. There is, it takes away all benefit. Christ plus something else, fill in that gap, is nothing. It's nothing. Fill in that blank. What do you have to fill in that blank? What is, what is your temptation to budge and say, let this in? On your best days. On your best days, on your best fleshly days, what is your fill in the blank there? I doubt it's circumcision. But what are you wrongly viewing as you gaining and walking down that road to freedom? It's not freedom, it's really... Submitting again to a yoke of slavery. Is it just your general obedience on your best days? Seeking to earn God's favor? Seeking to be a little bit more accepted by God than it was yesterday? What are your attempts to add to Jesus because justification by faith alone just can't be 100% accurate? Can't be. Is it your pursuit of holiness? Are you submitting to your pursuit and your passionate pursuit of holiness as being what earns you favor? Is it your parenting? Let's be honest with you. Some are better parents than others. 
If you are in that good parenting category, that great parenting category, you may be tempted to think, my great wisdom and parenting surely makes me more acceptable in God's sight. What are your attempts? Is it your forsaking of the world? As you say, I forsake the world harder than any other Christian I know at Rockport. Jesus plus forsaking the world hard? Surely? That gives me something else? Is it your passion for His Word? Is it your devotional time? Is it your wisdom that you've been blessed with? Is it your discernment that you have attained for years in the faith? Are those what you fill the blank in with? You see? Think, oh, we're good. None of us believe circumcision anymore. What do we put in that gap to think that somehow we contribute to our freedom? We contribute nothing, church. We contribute nothing. And you know that what? That is good news. That is great news because we have nothing good to give. Stand firm. Jesus plus something is nothing. All benefit of Christ wiped away if you add to Jesus. But Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is freedom. If you want to attempt to add some good work to Jesus' perfect work, you void grace. Hang with me. We're almost done. If you want to attempt to add something, because I know on our best days we are tempted to add something, to make a formula that somehow puts me more in the favor of God. If you want to do that, you are voiding grace. Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 5, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. Fill in the gap. Fill in the gap. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the entirety of the law. And guess what? If you're putting yourself back under the law, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, get this, you have fallen from grace. You have fallen from grace. The second you want to add something, you have to add it all, brothers and sisters. You understand that? The second that you want to add something, we have to add it all. Because we are immediately back under the curse of if you rely on the law, you have to keep the entirety of the law. If you want to add something on your best days, if that's your temptation, you have to add it all. Then we are no longer under grace. Paul says we've fallen from it. We've fallen from grace and we're back under the law, which is to say that we're back under the impossible task of working for righteousness. Paul isn't saying you're going to 
to lose your salvation here. That's not the point. Okay, we've been trained to see that that's what he's trying to say here. That's not his argument. Paul is not saying you're going to lose your salvation if you go back to this. No, this is what he's saying. He says, when you've fallen from grace, he's simply saying that you move back outside the framework of the gospel, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You're operating in a whole new framework. Actually, you're operating in a whole old framework. You haven't, he's not talking about losing your salvation. You're saying, you don't get it. This is freedom and you're going back to slavery. There's no grace if you're going away from it and putting yourself under the law. To pursue God's truth, as Jason started us off with at camp. To pursue God's truth, to wield the sword. To act wisely regarding social media. To rejoice in our pursuit of holiness. To let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel. To, to do these things are not to add to grace, but to stand firm in these things are to add these to the gospel. And that's not freedom. That's not faith. We stand firm in the gospel and out of the gospel it flows our desire to do these things. They are not the gospel themselves. These flow out of a life of faith. These become our desire. Not that we may be more loved. Not that we may be more accepted. But because we are completely loved already. We are completely accepted already. We are completely forgiven already. We are completely reconciled already. That's why he says, Stand firm by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is our only hope. Amen? It is our only hope. To a dying world. It is our only hope in discipleship to our children. That we wouldn't parent little legalistic monsters. That we wouldn't somehow give the impression that we can earn anything, but that we would know that we are sinners. Yet the reality is Christ has freed us from our sin and by His promises of sanctification... He will do the work of bringing us all the way home to 100% reality for us. Right? Stand firm, church. Let us stand firm together in free grace. Let us stand firm together in Christ alone. Let us stand firm together that faith alone is true freedom. Father, what a message. What a message to be believed on any day, good or bad. Feeling less evil than yesterday. Feeling more accomplished than last week. Lord, what a message to know and to believe on any day 
that it is up to us, none at all. But Jesus completely satisfied all requirements for our, our salvation. Father, may Your church know this indicative. May we believe this truth. Lord, even in our exhaustion, whether that be at the end of family camp, whether that be in the middle of a tiring, challenging week that You brought us to, Lord, may we know these truths. That out of these truths, we may stand firm and say, it's by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Amen.